0: Welcome to Music Made Me, the TuneCore podcast. I'm Erin Frankenheimer, and I'm going to be your host on today's episode. Today we're talking about how one venue doesn't fit all, specifically how to best approach different size venues for booking you or your band as you move through your artist career. In other words, how to put your best foot forward at the appropriate time with venue talent buyers. Here today to help us better understand the steps an artist or act needs to take when hoping to book a gig at an established venue is talent buyer Michelle Landry. Michelle is a talent buyer at The Bowery Presents and is based in New York, New York. Michelle is responsible for booking Brooklyn music venue Rough Trade, along with additional shows at various New York area venues. And she is passionate about recognizing and growing emerging talent. Michelle was previously a talent buyer for the Mercury Lounge and World Cafe Live in Philadelphia, incredible rooms that have launched the live music careers of some of your favorite artists. She also began her music industry career at Live Nation Entertainment, where she assisted with booking arena-level talent, along with special projects, including planning underplay launch shows for Arcade Fire. She's a Belmont University graduate and has a degree in business administration and music business. To help us better understand the proper steps you should be taking when hoping to get booked in a great and appropriately sized room, here is Michelle Landry. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. So you have an extensive career in booking a variety of rooms on the East Coast, clubs that have a 250 capacity, all the way up to theater-sized venues that can hold almost 3,000 people. Let's start small, where I think most of us trying to get a foot in the door are concerned. When you were booking Mercury Lounge, a 250 cap room, what was the best way for a band or an artist to approach you for a show?
1: uh we had kind of a an inquiry email inbox set up and i would scan through that oftentimes um i think maybe five or so years ago people were still sending an epk or an mp3 as an attachment various things like that um i think now that's less important and having your socials uh up to speed and having a website and uh Having everything in one place is really important. I think sending in your email pitch and putting the pertinent info in a very clean way and, sh- and showing what your worth is in the market and what your history is in the, is in the market and how you can add value to the venue uh, as well is the most important way to approach it.
0: So do a lot of venues have those, uh, those emails listed on their websites where you can go to the venue site and if you're interested in booking, there's a place where that's easy to find and accessible?
1: I think in at the 200 or so capacity range, most venues should have something like that. Once you get to like the 500s and, and up, it's it's more, you know, more established acts and more agent-driven stuff. Um, the Mercury Lounge was kind of 50 50. So we would have a lot of incoming stuff from local bands, and then we'd also have a lot of um, stuff from agents or managers who are already you know working with acts who have a team. Um, And we booked kind of a mix of the two and balanced it out. And it was heavier in the fall. It was heavier on touring acts and agent-driven bands. And then kind of in the summer and in the winter, those are the lighter months. Bands tour less, so you do more local shows, kind of figuring out what that balance is.
0: Okay. So EPKs aren't as important. Attaching an MP3, not as important. So if someone's crafting that email for you, they're like, hey, I'm I'm band so-and-so. We're based here. Here's a link to our, our socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Here's our website. What else should they be including in that email?
1: Market history is number one. Last three shows played, dates, other bands you play with, ticket price, number of tickets that you sold individually, um, any acts that you have confirmed for a proposed bill or that would be interested in jumping on the bill um, if you were to be given a date. Uh a date range that you'd be interested in, not just saying, Hey, I want to book a show on September 29th. So it's a Saturday in fall. And let me know if you have it. Chances are I don't have it. Uh, so being able to be flexible is really important as well. And if you're a band just starting out, taking that Monday night slot, just to start, you know, p- play the Monday night four times and you'll, you know, build from 20 people to 50 people to 75 people. And then we'll give you the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, as you, as you grow.
0: And when you say market history, what if a band hasn't played in New York yet, but maybe they've got, they're from Philadelphia or they're from New Orleans and they've got a good uh, following there and they do well at venues there. How do you gauge whether or not you'd allow them to play at a venue like Mercury Lounge?
1: I think syncing up with bands in the community that you're trying to play in is really, really important and, again, comes back to building that package um, Building relationships with, with local bands that are like-minded and whether it's doing a show trade and, you know, they they say, hey, we'll add you to a bill in New York. That's where we're from. We're going to come through Philly. Let's play a show together there um, and having it be more of a relationship than just, you know, cold emailing if you're a band that's never played in New York before is not going to work <laughs> most of the time unless it's somebody who's getting, a lot, you know, a lot of buzz online um, or, you know, you have a manager that we trust. There's got to be You know, there's got to be some sort of selling point there um, if you're an out of town band. But I mean, sometimes we'll take a shot if it's a, you know, whether a band's getting some traction on NPR or the festival circuit and they've never played New York before. We will take a shot every now and again. Um, But I think, yeah, relationships in in the city that you are aiming to book in are really important.
0: And, I mean, you mentioned earlier, you know, a manager might approach you or an agent. Is that – how important is it to you that someone has an agent? Is that a necessary piece of the puzzle, or can bands get booked at a venue like Mercury Lounge without one?
1: Uh, It's helpful for sure, but I don't think it's a be-all, end-all. And, I mean, agents are getting on board earlier and earlier these days. That's the other thing you're seeing, so – You know, sometimes agents will get on board with a band that hasn't even played live yet. And that's, I think, an interesting way um, that people are starting to approach it, whether it's, you know, the publisher hears it first or the lawyer hears it first and the agent is on board just because they believe in the act. Um, So there are, you know, a lot of agent-driven bands that we deal with. But um, I'll also kind of reach out to local bands directly myself, too, if I really like the music. So I think a lot of the times it comes down to, to the music and the live show at the end of the day.
0: And you said before that you, you look for a strong touring or a local market track records for pulling tickets. Um, how do you gauge that? Like if you're trying to book a show at Mercury Lounge, 250 cap room, what would what would someone have to say? I guess what would the number be that would be like, all right, we'll take a chance on you?
1: I would say probably if you can bring anywhere from 25 to... 60 people out on your own you have a good shot at getting a support slot or on a co-headline show with other local bands if you have a history of bringing 150 plus to a headline show you have a good shot at getting a headline show in in the room so kind of starting small and being you know being open to those support slots being open to playing you know the early seven o'clock slot on a tuesday (laughs) like i said before is you got to start somewhere um a lot of bands will come in a little cocky and say, you know, like I said, say, I, I want a headline on the Saturday night and and we can bring 40 people out like that's that's not where you start. <laughs> so I think um, I think being nice is a really important part of all of this, too, and not demanding things, uh, kind of knowing your place. And then when you play when you do get that slot, you know being nice to the people in the venue and following up and saying, thank you. And, you know, we loved it so much. And that goes a really, really,
0: really long way. Yeah. And being kind to those uh, ticket counters and those uh, sound guys always helps too. Absolutely. And the bartender. So, so if somebody, if somebody does come in and they, they say, Hey, we've, and you're expecting them to do well, And um, they don't have the best showing. Let's say they only pull 40 people on a Saturday or something. What can they do to help their chances of of you booking them again? I mean, if you like the music and you know that maybe there was weather circumstances or whatever it might be, if a band doesn't do so well, is that kind of the end of them coming back to the venue? Or do they have a chance of coming back?
1: They definitely have a chance of coming back. A lot of the times in New York, there's so many clubs. Oftentimes, we'll kind of suggest, like in the room that I book now, Rough Trade. It's a little bit bigger, it's a little bit more established. So, oftentimes, I will suggest, "Hey, go out and play this 150 cap room. You know, try this showcase spot. Try to try to build yourself and and create a growth plan for you instead of trying to just jump into the wrong size room. You know, for your first play. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't feel great for anyone. So, I think." Starting small is really important and building and leaving, you know, once you are selling out a 150 cap venue, like that, leaving some tickets on the table and not playing as often is really important as well. Uh, You'll see a lot of bands that will play, you know, once a month. And I think spreading that out, um, you know, once every three months and, and building up that demand in the market is really important. So once you're able to show and prove that you've been doing that, you know, communicating your growth plan will help you get a shot at coming back.
0: And is that sort of the same thing? If if you have somebody that, you know, you think there's some potential there, but they're just not ready for uh, the rooms that you're booking and you've said, hey, now is not the time. When, when should they be able to feel comfortable coming back to you and saying, hey, I know you said no three months ago. What needs to change for you to say yes?
1: Um, I mean, a lot of the times... Bands will say thank you for being honest. We're gonna, and then come back to me in in a month and say, hey, we booked a show at the venue you recommended. Why don't you come and check us out there and see, you know, see how we're actually working. We have new music coming out. We're garnering interest and and seeing that put into action. um, It's a lot of work. It's not easy. (laughs) So I think, you know, pounding the pavement a little bit and, and showing that you're doing that work is, is, really valuable
0: right because you guys are working so hard and if you're taking the time as you're saying here to tell a band you should try these other venues then it's great when they're cool about it go and do their own legwork come back to you or their homework basically and show hey we're willing to, to work to get into this room
1: yeah and then also taking those you know chasing down support slots where it's appropriate a lot of the times bands will say reach out to me and say hey i want to open this sold-out show at this big venue but you know that's not always the opportunity. Maybe it's, hey, if you have anything else that's a fit in a smaller room, we're open to trying it out and proving that you can bring, you know, that you can sell 35 tickets on a $10 ticket um, and it's all, um, and then all those people show up and they, you know, I think that's, that's important too and that's a good way to, um, I think just staying engaged and, and like being aware of what's going on and checking the local calendars and just being persistent in a way, in a constructive way, not just in a, hey, here's my music, hey, book my band. More so, hey, I can add value to this show here because of X, Y, and Z.
0: So there's a lot of things that a band should be doing. um, If they're told no, or if they have a show that does pretty well but isn't the best, what what are the things a band should not be doing when they're approaching you for the first time?
1: So many things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, like I said, just don't be don't don't be entitled don't come in with an attitude of i deserve you know i deserve this because my band is the best thing in the world i think just just yeah not not being humble is is a thing that really turns me off personally um when i'm engaging with bands because i talk to a lot of bands directly too and i do go out and see a lot of local shows so um like I said before, not being flexible <laughs> is also a frustrating thing. It doesn't make you really want to work with someone when they say, "No, this is this is the one thing that I need," and it's not. It doesn't become a conversation when when they're demanding like that. So, being able, being willing to engage and have a conversation and asking for like honest feedback is really important and the best way to move that conversation forward. And to, you know, the way that the Bowery presents is structured, our model has always been. Um, a growth plan from the Mercury Lounge originally um, to Rough Trade to Music Hall of Williamsburg, and then you know bands go through that that cycle if you're doing it right. Some certain bands go through it a lot more quickly than others, and usually those have agents. But there are a lot of local bands that do start at the Mercury Lounge level and go to sell out Bowery Ballroom, and then go to go on to get an agent after that, and then they play Brooklyn Steel and they sell. They're selling out Brooklyn Steel. Like it's possible. It's you just gotta <laughs> you just gotta work hard. And uh, surround yourself with the right people
0: and, and be nice. Yeah, be nice. And so I guess that was my next question was once a band as well at a smaller, well-established venue, um, when are they ready to move up to that, that next venue? What's the indicator for you saying, OK, you've played a venue like, like Mercury Lounge. Now we're ready to move you up to a 500 cap room.
1: Leaving demand on the table, show selling the show out in advance, not just day of show with walk up with all your friends. Um, I think it's really hard to sell out a show in advance as a local band, so that's that's the, that's a big marker. It's when you get to that point um, and you know something's real. And having your live show ready for a bigger stage physically is sometimes, you know, I think you just need to play out more and more and more and really hone that live show and, and. Sometimes you're not, you know, sometimes you sell out the room, but you see the band and it's not, you know, you think of them on that bigger stage and it's, it doesn't, doesn't match up. So I think having your live show ready for that bigger stage with a bigger presence and um, really, really practicing and playing out is, yeah, it's really important.
0: Are there any kinds of, I mean, you're talking about, you know, um, figuring out how to translate a smaller show to a larger stage and and being ready for that big stage, or just even being able to play one of the smaller venues. Are there any things that you really expect a band to have in place when you're booking the gig? Like, I mean, how important is is it to you that they've got a writer in place, that it's easy to advance a show with them? Um, Those kind of basic things, are they those things that you take the time to sort of help a band along and train them or do you just expect them to already know how to have all of that in place when they're coming into the mercury lounge or venue that Uh, size
1: most fans at that level won't won't have it in place you just kind of have to work with them a little bit and assume that you know they're learning while they're doing it
0: um so it's safe to ask questions and for help it's very
1: safe to ask questions and preferred to ask questions than to just you know show up without communicating anything and expect to, <laughs> expect everything to be taken care of um, so yeah i think it, it's not a you don't have to have everything right the first time we're here to you know we're here to help grow and and along with you so it's yeah it's a it's a process for sure
0: and i guess i would love to know um if it's possible for you to tell us about an experience or two that you've had with an artist or a band where you were able to watch them successfully move from a club venue sized Uh, capacity into a theater or arena spaces and why do you think that was uh, possible for that particular act to grow that way
1: there's always one prime example that kind of comes back uh, when I think about this, it's a band called Big Thief uh, who are probably one of my favorite bands at the moment for the past few years Uh, when I first started booking the Mercury Lounge um, I'd seen them open a show at Barry Ballroom and was so blown away that before they had an agent or anything, um, you know, try to, to have that conversation early on. Um, they played, you know, a couple of venues, and then they had a record coming out, and they said we want to do our record release show at Mercury Lounge, and it was a Sunday night, and I wanted to take the shot, so I gave them, gave them Sunday. Um, they ended up selling it out in advance, and it was at the end of the day, they're one of the, I think, the best band, rock bands out there at the moment. They're going to have a career, and they they played that show, they sold it out, and they came back again, I want to say maybe nine months later, sold it out again, and then they were ready to move up to Barry Ballroom, sold that out. Now they're playing Brooklyn Steel in October. That'll sell out. Um, they just put out their second record, so that's a prime example of it, and they have barely any team. Now they're signed to Saddle Creek, and now they have a big agent and, but they're doing it right. And they're nice people. And, uh, their live show is incredible. And the music speaks for itself at the core.
0: What makes the live show so incredible, especially speaking to someone like yourself, who's, who's booking the talent.
1: I think the songwriting at the core is really special. And that's something that you, I don't know. I go, we all go out to so many shows and especially in New York. And I feel like rock bands are less and less prevalent. Guitar bands are less and less prevalent. Um, songwriting is less, a little less important. It seems like these days too. Um, so I think coming back to that and 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 knowing that that is still something that really connects with people, um, I think that's that's where it's stemming from is is the connection that they are able to have with people through their songs.
0: You have a secondary story you might be able to share with us of another <laughs> band or artist that was able to to move through the ranks. I mean, there are certain ones that are
1: just kind of crazy stories whether it's someone like Tosh Sultana from Australia who came to the U.S. for the first time ever sold out every show on her tour and came back four months later sold out every show on her tour in the next you know the next biggest step of venues comes like that's just like those are the kind of crazy examples and I think you see, see that more in like uh the hip hop world where people kind of skip steps a little bit and just blow up. And it's such a crazy quick trajectory, but oftentimes, um, you know, a year later, those people have kind of fizzled out a little bit. So I think taking the right steps at the right time aligned with when you're releasing your music is, um, and playing festivals at the right time also (laughs) is, um, is something that, is really really important um and she's Tash Holtana is someone who definitely did that and um she has a label and everything obviously they're doing really great things for her um but I think there's we see that more and more as where, where people are kind of blowing up um quicker than in the past and I think it's the internet more than anything <laughs> at the end of the day
0: so, so back so. to having <laughs> those those strong socials as being a sort of key indicator that that somebody's on the rise and that they've got yeah. good fan engagement yes
1: good fan engagement is yeah is insane that's why i think in, a lot of artists don't even have a facebook page anymore and i'm sure you've noticed and instagram they just just have an instagram and a soundcloud and maybe a twitter <laughs>
0: But and is that like,
1: enough yeah apparently because there's on the instagram i feel like they're engaging their fans at a level at such an intimate level um that's that's a new thing. <laughs> I feel like in in, in this world, um, I a lot of bands, a lot of local bands especially, just will neglect to list contact information anywhere, which is a new thing as well. I don't know if it's like a, <laughs> a, a trying to be mysterious and like you need to find me and chase me down kind of <laughs> thing, but I find it frustrating. <laughs> That I have to Facebook message people to get them to send me an email where I can reach out to book their band.
0: So, so if they do have only Instagram, Twitter, and SoundCloud, make sure to include an email address. Yes. Or, or if you really love them, you'll you'll direct message them.
1: Correct, but that's an extra step that everyone has to go through to contact you, which seems you
0: know. <laughs> okay, so so try and include that email and all of those things. Um, have you had acts that have just gone straight into the theaters? Or is it really, it's really about grinding and and starting small. And I guess for you, Michelle, with the people you've worked with in this tight-knit community in New York, are there uh, certain venues that you kind of look to that might be even smaller than those 250 cap rooms before you bring somebody in? Uh,
1: Yeah, I mean, I think most people probably start small. And I think... um, Building regionally is something that really works and and catches the attention of promoters and of agents and of managers as well. Um, You know, it's one thing to say you sell out a one hundred and fifty or two hundred and fifty cap venue in New York, but it's another thing to say that you're selling five hundred tickets in New York and in Boston and in DC and you know in any secondary markets around there too. Um, So I think that's kind of the next step other than just growing within your own market is, is building that regional presence.
0: And is it possible for artists as they like, you know, if they play with you guys and you love the show and you're like, you know what, I'd really love to see that your numbers are increasing in a a town like Boston, Philadelphia. Are you, um, you know, as a talent buyer, do you take the time to reach out to your counterparts in those cities and try and work on those kind of dates within your company or or how can someone get moving on that is that something that falls back on them
1: uh we all talk so i think be engaged with the local promoters and a company like bowery presents we have venues in all of those markets as well uh we have kind of a weekly booking call, so we know what other people are working on and you know we send we share notes and say hey you should really check this band out you know they're about to blow up um kind of thing so yeah people do definitely talk um but yeah, I think it's rare for... Depends on the genre, I guess, too. I feel like jam bands probably have a little bit uh, of a different way of going about things as well. Um, with venues like Brooklyn Bowl and, you know, that, that have kind of like a more built-in audience where people who are just fans of the genre will come see them. Um, so I think that's an interesting circuit. And they will do a lot of regional touring and get on festivals earlier on as well um, with, and have more of like an organic growth
0: is that sort of based on the the support within that that community for that genre? If if you know, so such and such band is is bringing you on or talking about you on their Instagram, or going to have you play with them, then it validates that artist to be able to play different rooms in different towns.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's more of a yeah, it's more of a community I think than than anything. Um, and people, will, people, those people love live music so much. They'll just go out to see any, you know, whatever bands playing, if they trust a certain venue and they're booking, which is also another thing that happens, you know, at a venue like Mercury Lounge and people trust the quality of the acts that they're booking and, and will just go. And it's a, it's a cheap enough cover that they feel, you know, they'll pay 10 bucks to go out and see, um, you know, who might need, be the next strokes in five years, <laughs>
0: So to, to recap, when people reach out to a venue that's around 250 capacity, those, those starting out rooms, um, there should be an email listed there that you can reach out, send in your socials, uh, send in your contact information. Do you guys look for YouTube videos or are music videos important to you or live show videos?
1: Mm, not really. I would, I would rather go out and, and see the band, you know, if they tell me they're playing tomorrow night at pianos at and I could stop by and, and actually see them. That's more effective.
0: Well, and you're you're obviously on the move a lot more than some, and you're responsive. I mean, how should somebody handle it if they don't get an email response when they reach out to a venue that they like? Is it is it appropriate to go by and say, hey, I think I'm ready to play this room. I'd like to talk to the talent buyer, or what's the best way to do that if someone isn't responding to their emails?
1: Uh, I think making sure you have that core key information upfront is really important and then saying you know if if a couple weeks go by saying hey last night we played here and it was such a great night and they said they wanted to have us back we'd love to also you know we're your venues our favorite in new york and uh we'd really like to play there so if you could consider us just kind of you know not not just repeating the same information but trying to again um show where you can add value and communicating your growth plan Um, instead of just that follow-up of, hey, here's my band, hey, here's my band, hey, here's my band, is more valuable.
0: So always come to the table with new information about how your shows are doing. It's not really necessary anymore to have an EPK or to send an MP3. It's more about what you can see with the fan engagement on socials and that they have all the pertinent information in front of you. Um, it's also important to be nice when you do get the gig to be good to everyone in the house and to follow up and say thanks for playing and that they'd want to play again. How, how often do you want to have somebody come back through the venue once they've played?
1: Probably every three months, max. If, it's, if you're booking a lot of local bands, that's kind of a good, you know, once per season, if you will, um, just to make sure you don't dilute things in the market.
0: Any other advice that for our listeners before we wrap up? Uh, I do think
1: having a good team is really important. I know a lot of people, you know, can can do it on their own and do do it on, on their own these days, but, you know, going out and, and meeting people and making connections with young managers and young agents as well, because they're all out constantly trying to find new talent. There's so much noise out there now. So I think going and introducing yourself to, you know, whether it's a, a key young agent that you admire everything else that they work on and you, you know. Uh, those kind of relationships are are really important too. And like I said, promoters do do, do have that level of trust with agents and managers that um, it might, you know, be able to break down a wall that you might not be able to get past as just a local band with a Gmail account.
0: So start working on creating that team. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Michelle Landry. It was a pleasure to have you here on the Music Made Me podcast. We really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you, Erin. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Music Made Me, the TuneCore podcast. The opinions expressed in this episode are those of the individuals talking and don't necessarily reflect the opinions of TuneCore. Check out TuneCore.com to help you distribute your music, register your original songs worldwide, and more. Connect with us on all social channels at TuneCore. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes.